at uh, PCC. It's good to see uh, familiar faces, old, old familiar faces, new faces as well. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. We don't want to embarrass you, but uh, we want you to know that, that we are glad that you're here. Uh, here at PCC, it's our mission to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. Uh, we strive to do that as we take the life of Jesus as our pattern for living, and as such, we prioritize being together. We, we gather together in meetings like this. We hear and respond to the Word of God with an emphasis in prayer, and we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. Today, we are in week two of a series that we titled, I Believe in God, But... And in this series, we want to take a look at some of the questions and doubts that people have uh, when it comes to God. Uh, I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 9, if you would. You can open your Bible app, PCC app, uh, turn to Mark chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, should be a blue Bible somewhere close to you. And if you don't have, if there's not a blue Bible close to you and there's not one, uh, you can't find one, just look around. People will hand you one. And so uh, you'll find Mark chapter 9 on or around page 714. I say this every Every week, but I, I want to just encourage you in the fact that it's important that we put the scriptures in our hand. It's something you can refer to. It's something you can become familiar with. I also want to invite you to grab your sermon notes. So in case uh, something strikes you, you want to write it down, or if you get bored and need something to doodle on, you've already got it out and ready to go. Um, the reality is that in our text today, in Mark chapter 9, we're not going to look at it in detail. Instead, I want to use it as a springboard to talk about our topic today, which is, I believe in God, but I have doubts. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had doubts, but, but I think uh, this is something that we need to talk about and something that we need to address. And from the very beginning, I want you to know that there uh, were four main sources that I used to put this message together. One, uh, the scriptures, the examples and lessons contained within the various texts spoke loud and clear on this topic. Two, uh, a part of a sermon that I heard from another pastor really spoke into this and offered some special insights uh, on this topic. Uh, then there was this book titled Room for Doubt by Ben Young. And, and this is an easy read, and it greatly assisted me in processing some of the things that I desired to communicate. And then, of course, uh, my thoughts and experiences, as well as insights from people uh, that I know and conversations that I've had with them. Having doubts about faith or about God is something that, that I've come to discover that many people have and experience, but very few people are comfortable uh, to admit it or to discuss it. I know for me, I grew up in a church where the understanding, this kind of unwritten understanding was uh, this statement, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Which is a great way to live your life and your faith in God until it isn't, Right? It really works until it doesn't. So what happens when you read the scripture? There's a crisis of your faith and you have doubts or questions and your faith is anything but settled. What, what do you do then? So as we begin to dive into this today, I, I wanna be clear on a few things. First of all, my goal this morning is not to answer all of the questions. I may not answer any of the questions or doubts that you may or may not have, okay? I, I just don't think I have the ability to do that this morning. I'm also not here to create doubt for you when there isn't any doubt or to convince you that you should have doubt. That's not my objective this morning either. My main goal is to take a look at this topic of doubt and to say to those of us that are here today or those that may be listening online that if you have doubts, if you struggle with uncertainty 
especially when it comes to your faith or directed toward God, that's not a bad place to be. In fact, it may be exactly where God wants you to be right now. If we look at the scripture for Mark chapter 9, where we're going to read a part of it in just a minute, there's this interesting interaction uh, that's happening between Jesus, uh, the disciples, there's this large crowd, and then a certain man is singled out because he brings his son to Jesus. Uh, to put things in context, Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, had just returned uh, from the mountain where Jesus had been transfigured, right? And you can read all about that in the first part of Mark chapter 9. And so then they come down the mountain, and uh, after on the mountain, Jesus transfigured with those two long-ago dead people. That's why it's really interesting, Elijah and Moses, to read that at some point. So put the text in your hands and read that. But when they come back down, they, they join Jesus and the disciples and this crowd, and there's this argument that's going on with the people and the teachers of the law. And they were asked what they were arguing about. And we pick up the text in verse 17 of Mark chapter 9. It says this, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son. And teacher is addressing Jesus is who he's talking to. I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, there's enough in those two verses alone that we could spend a lot of time unpacking it. It may cause the, the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up, or you may be going, what is this, right? But uh, the point is this. I, I want to press forward into how this text deals with doubt. So look at verse 19. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, well, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response in verse 23. He says, if you can, said Jesus. It's, it's almost as if Jesus was saying, wait, you brought him to me. Don't you know who I am? And I know I'm reading into the text, right? It's dangerous to do to, to eisegesis to read into the text. But Jesus, as he always does, he takes advantage of the opportunities that are presented to him and he teaches the people about faith. He continues speaking and he says this, everything is possible for one who believes. And here's where I want you to focus, verse 24, for just a moment. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And in this one sentence, the father makes two seemingly contradictory statements that are equally true. He says, I do believe, which is true, he brought his son to Jesus, right? I do believe, and he says, help me overcome my belief, my not belief, my, my doubt, which is also true. I do believe, but I have doubt. I have faith, but I don't. You, you see how those are happening all at the same time? And I would suggest that this is true for many people at some point in your life, or maybe multiple points in your life. It may be true for you right now. I do believe but I have these doubts. I believe that there is a God, but, but where is he right now? I believe that there's a God, but why did he allow that to happen? I believe there's a God, but, but why doesn't he fix this? Why doesn't he do something about this? And what we see in this verse is, 
is that it's okay to be honest with ourselves and to say, yes, I believe in God, but there are times when I just have doubts, when, when I am unsure. Because when we look at how Jesus responds to this man and to his request, it's really interesting. Jesus doesn't criticize him and say, hey, if you have doubts, well, then just forget it, right? Once you are sure, then get back to me. Once you have an unwavering, 100% certain, ironclad, I said it, that settles it type of faith, then we can talk. No, Jesus doesn't respond that way at all. Instead, when we look at verses 25 through 27, we see that Jesus heals the boy right then and right there. I would suggest that Jesus knows something about us as humans, that God knows us as his creation, that there's only so much we are able to comprehend. Christian author Philip Yancey, in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, he said, God's invisibility guarantees that I will experience times of doubt. Having doubt is not something that is new or something that is unique. Lots of people experience doubt. You may recognize some of the names that I'm, I'm about to share, people who have expressed faith in God, but also have shared their story about doubt. Those people include Lee Strobel and Bart Ehrman, Daniel Taylor, Frederick Buchner, Josh McDowell, Emily Dickinson, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, C.S. Lewis, Martin Luther. All of these people of faith and far too many other people to mention all experience seasons or even a lifetime of doubt. And what is interesting about doubt that often, not always, but, but often it occurs in times of suffering and in times of loss. C.S. Lewis went through a long conversion experience in which he wrote many books and he produced uh, probably his most well-known book, uh, Mere Christianity. And even though this man was obviously a great man of faith and he had great faith, we also learned that he had doubts as well. In his book titled A Grief Observed, uh, Lewis poured out his grief and his doubts resulting from the death of his wife. He questioned God's goodness and he doubted if it was really worth it to believe in God. Mother Teresa, who was widely known for her selfless life of service and sacrifice to the sick and the dying in Calcutta, uh, she shared that she felt plagued by the darkness of doubt. She wrote in her book, Come Be My Light, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. That's Mother Teresa, Right? When you look at the, the Old Testament scriptures, you find uh, David. Uh, we know him as the shepherd David, as King David, as David. He was, a, he was shepherd. He was king. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was a man who failed miserably all at the same time. We see a, a man who worked out his faith in the midst of doubt. Uh, Psalm 22 is a great example of this, where we see this back and forth in David's life. Uh, David is saying, I believe, but I doubt. I believe, but I have doubts. Uh, Psalm 22 begins with doubt. Look at the first two verses. It says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. That sound like a man of great faith? Then he transitions to faith in verse 3. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. And then he goes right back to doubt in verse 6. But I'm a worm, right? 
I'm, I'm, I'm not a man, I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And if you keep reading through Psalm 22, what you find is in, in verse nine, he goes back to expressing faith. And then in verse 12, it's doubt. And then it's faith again. In verse 19, David is a pendulum swinging back and forth. It's like he cannot decide, do I have faith or do I have doubt? And I think the answer is yes. Those are equally true, right? He has faith, but he also has doubt. I know for me, when, when I am having doubts or I'm faced with difficult decisions or there's major struggles in life, I've often said that I would love it if God or Jesus or an angel or just something would just show up at night at the foot of the bed, right? And he would just, or she or whatever, would just kind of you know, tell me that everything's gonna be okay and answer my questions and tell me that what's gonna happen. And yet, in my saner moments, I also wonder, you know, if that did happen, would I believe it? And would it really be sufficient to remove my doubts forever? In my reading, I saw the question proposed this way, and so I share it with you. All my doubts would go away if God would... What? How would you answer that? All of my doubts, or... I would have the best, strongest faith in the world and nothing could ever hold me back about all that. What, if what? If God would just what? If God would just take away all of my financial concerns forever? If God would heal my loved one of cancer? If God would let us have a baby? If God would restore our marriage? If God would perform some big miracle in my life, if God would make my husband stop drinking, if, if God would let the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, what is it that you would put in that, that blank, right? Ben Young said this, we think if God would only honor that one simple request, we would never doubt again. If he would just intervene this once in an undeniable fashion, we feel that we would then be compelled to believe and all of our doubts would be dispelled. But the reality is, it's simply just not true, is it? I mean, think about this. We see Pharaoh, he, he saw the, the power of God again and again, but he rejected God. The Israelites sh saw God show up time and time and time again, but they rebelled against him. The religious leaders saw Jesus perform all kinds of miracles and they still opposed him. John the Baptist, who proclaimed that Jesus would take away the sins of the world, he baptized Jesus. He laid the foundation for Jesus' ministry and his work, right? He was an amazing man of faith and even he had doubts as well. When John the Baptist was in Herod's prison awaiting execution, he began to doubt God and he began to doubt God's love in his life and Jesus' ability to really save. He wanted to know for sure, so he sent his disciples to Jesus asking, hey, are you the one <laughs> or should we expect someone else? The disciple Thomas, who was perhaps the most famous doubter that we know of in all of scripture, he famously said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas 
He'd been with Jesus and the other disciples for three years or so. He'd seen Jesus heal the lepers and give the blind sight and make the deaf hear. He saw Jesus walk on water, feed the multitudes with just a little bit of food. He saw him raise people from the dead, and he heard him teach that he would die and that he would come back to life. And yet, even when his friends, the people that experienced that with him, when they, when they told him, hey, Thomas, it's all true. Jesus is alive. We've seen him. What was Thomas's response? Nope. not going to believe it. I doubt it unless I see for myself. And then he did, and then he believed. And what's interesting to me is even seeing the resurrected Jesus was not sufficient for some. There's this verse that haunts me from Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. It's after the resurrection and before Jesus ascends into heaven. And the text says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. (laughs) Even with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in front of them, some doubted. And so when you find yourself with some doubts or in a season of doubt or a lifetime of doubt, I just want to tell you, you're in good company. You're not alone, and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. The question becomes, what do we do with our doubt? In his book, Room for Doubt, that I referenced earlier, uh, the author suggests that doubt is a natural thing that most people experience. He also suggests that doubt is neutral. He states that doubt is neither good or bad, it just is. It's something that exists. He argues that doubt is an avenue that can lead us closer to God and to faith, or it can lead us farther away from God and from faith. I like the illustration or the metaphor that he uses. He, he describes doubt as this river that has been frozen solid and is now this big sheet of ice and it's between two banks. On one bank is belief and on the other bank is unbelief. And he supports this idea by asking a couple questions that, that I also want to ask to you as well. Uh, little audience participation. What is the opposite of love? Hate. Now, most people would answer hate. That's not technically true, right? The opposite of hate or of love is apathy. It's just, I don't care. Love and hate are strong emotions. They evoke a response. Apathy is just nothing, right? So the opposite of love really is apathy. The opposite of hate is apathy. You just don't care. So with that in mind, I ask you this question, and you're not going to be as quick to answer this time because you feel like I'm tricking you, but what's the opposite of faith? Yeah, doubt is the answer, right? That's what most people, if you're just, you know, I haven't set you up for this, you're going to say, what's the opposite of faith? You're going to say doubt. But really, the opposite of faith is no faith, unbelief, right? Because doubting isn't good or bad, it's just, It's not knowing what to believe. One of the struggles we have as Westerners in our Western world is our modern view. Uh, As Westerners, we pride ourselves in the ability to ask questions and to doubt. Questions and doubt have led to substantial discoveries in industry and science and in the mind and in medicine and all sorts of other avenues. 
And it spills into our faith as well with questions and doubts. And it's little wonder that our society embraces questioning and doubting, and it's continually asking questions in our search of confidence and certainty, because we want to live in certainty, don't we? We want to be able to stand somewhere solid. As I said in my email blast this, this week, uh, we want the most reliable network, the most dependable car. We want confidence. We receive the best deal, the highest education, the safest car seat, the greatest return on our investment, and we desire certainty and confidence when it comes to our faith. We want to know we're right, don't we? Or maybe that's just me. I want to know I'm right. I, I want to know that, that I have the answer to life's questions, that I can prove faith. Oftentimes we even seek to prove that there is a God, and and by the way, that's something you cannot prove. You can't disprove it either. You just can't prove it either way. You can't prove there is a God. You you can examine the evidence all all around and make an informed decision on whether to believe or to not believe in God, but but it can't be proven. It, It really does have to be taken on faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we do not see. Jesus, in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us the importance of having this strong foundation that our life is built on, and it's a life of faith. After challenging his audience and, and us still here today as well to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to be generous, to don't judge, and explaining that the way is narrow and few find it, Jesus told this parable of building on the sand or building on the rock. How when we build our lives on the sand, we are destined for destruction, but when we build our lives on the rock and that rock is Jesus, then we can weather any storm. Because the critical issue is whether or not you have faith, if you're you're willing to build your life on the belief that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you believe that he lived and died and rose again, that he claimed to be God and he backed that up with his life? Because the reality and the truth of the matter is that, for me at least, for my feelings of doubt and uncertainty about several things, they don't change the bold claim that Jesus is God. The reality of Jesus being God is what separates God and Jesus and faith from everything else. No one else claimed to be God in the flesh, only Jesus. And the question becomes, can you put your faith in him? And as you do, can you bring your doubts to him as well? When you're on that sheet of ice called doubt between belief, between belief and unbelief, which way will you slide? Will you slide toward God, taking your doubts to him? Or will you slide away from God, taking your doubts with you? You see, I really want to encourage you. I want you to feel like you can ask those questions and to have your doubts and to still believe that Jesus is God, to take those questions and those uncertainties to the Lord and say, you know, you know what, God, I just don't get it. I don't know what to believe sometimes, and I have my doubts, even that you are there sometimes, but, but I doubt sometimes that, that you care also, and, and, I, and I don't know what to do with that. And I want you to be able to take those to the Lord and to share them with him. As a a fellow believer, I want you to be able to stand on the slippery slope of doubt and not be afraid to slide toward the Lord. There's a story that's told 
uh, of a 14-year-old girl who was battling cancer. Um, during her struggle, she kept a notebook uh, of uh, what was happening in her life when she recorded her thoughts. And, and even though the doctors did all that they could for her, she eventually died. And after her death, her parents found a note card in her stuff on which she'd written this statement, the moon is round. And they couldn't really figure out what it meant, why their daughter had written such a thing. So they started going through the entries in her notebook, all right? And as they went through, they found this. It says, she wrote, when things are dark and I can only see a sliver of the moon, I know that the moon is still round. When the cancer is so tough and the treatments are so brutal, and I can only get a sliver, just a slice of the love and the power and the presence of God, I know that the moon is round. It's round. Just because I cannot see it, and just because you cannot see it, just because we have doubts and we have questions, these doubts and questions do not change who God is or his love for us. I may have doubts, you may have doubts, and I think God says, that's okay. Bring them to me. Because he has a desire to walk in relationship with us. And because of that desire, God will meet us there in our doubt, and he will pour out his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. One author I read said this, uh, if you're not sure if you believe in God, the challenge was uh, to Pray to the God that you're not sure that you believe in, asking him to reveal himself to you. And I would ask you to take your doubts to a God that you doubt in and allow him to reveal himself to you. And you may not get the answer, and that's okay, because we're called to walk in a relationship with him, a relationship that's built on faith, because of his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you that we can put our faith and our trust in you. We thank you for the love that, that you have shown to us. We thank you that, that we don't have to have everything figured out all the time or that even in our doubt, we can come to you and you desire to walk in a relationship with us. Father, we're thankful that that relationship can begin today and, and it blends into eternity. Father, I pray that you would guide our, our efforts as we strive to slide toward you. God, I, I just pray that you would give us the courage to bring our questions and our doubts to you. I pray that this church would continue to be a place where lives are changed, not because of what we do, but because of who you are, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his love. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy and forgiveness. We thank you for the hope and the faith that we have in you. We thank you for your presence. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So maybe you're here today and uh, you have doubts. Maybe you have doubts because of your past. Maybe it's something you've done or something that was done to you. You doubt that that God is good or that God can really love you. And I'm here to tell you that not only can God love you, he already does. He wants to meet you right where you are and his love and grace and his mercy and forgiveness, they're available to make you new. The scripture tells us that, that God's desire and what he does when we surrender to him is he takes our sin and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. 
because that's how much he loves us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and all are welcome to him. So I ask you today if you will respond to him. I'm gonna invite you if you would to, uh, as you're willing and as you're able to stand with me as we sing a song of response. Um, as, as we sing this song, we want to invite you, uh, if you wanna make a decision to accept Jesus, if you wanna be obedient in baptism, uh, if you want to, to join PCC, if you wanna have someone pray with you just to make your way over to the cross where members of the prayer team and leadership team will be there uh, to pray with you and to talk with you. So stand with me, let's worship, let's respond to the Lord together this morning.